0: Hello, my name is Kate Tokar, and I am part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and it is such a pleasure to get to be here with you today to study God's Word together. I hope that you've been enjoying our study at 1 John so far. I have, and I have loved getting to know John better, and I am so grateful for his teaching style of circling back around to what he really wants us to learn so we can soak in his teaching. Today we're gonna go a little more in depth on several topics he's already taught on, but he wants to give us further instruction about. So we're gonna learn more about testing teachers for truth, loving God, and loving others. So go ahead and turn in your Bible to 1 John 4, please. I have a daughter who just turned 16, and for her birthday I took her to see John Mayer in concert. He is a tremendously talented guitar player, and she appreciates good musicians, and she loves his music, so it was perfect that he came to Dallas right around her birthday. So we went to the concert, and it was incredible. And um, while I was there, I had this passion sort of revived in me. So something that most people don't know about me, that especially that live outside of my house, is I have this crazy desire to be able to play the electric guitar really well. Now, there is no reason I should think that I'm capable of doing this. I've only picked up a guitar five or six times, and every time I quit because it hurts, those strings dig into your fingers, and my fingers do not do the right thing at all. The other issue is I don't really feel like I have the look of an electric guitar player. (laughs) However, at this concert, it really sealed the deal for me. I want to be able to play the electric guitar like John Mayer. So as I was talking to her about this on the way back, home that night, I was thinking about how in order to get anywhere in the direction of my dream, I have to start somewhere. I have to start practicing. And she reminded me that it takes about 10,000 hours to get really good at something, you know, practice. So I calculated that and it is 20 hours a week for nine and a half years, which is completely crazy. But if I never get started, I will never make any progress. I think that we often do this in our walk with God. You know, we have this desire to, and these great visions and these hopes for ourselves, to walk really closely with the Lord. We wanna study the Bible, we wanna grow closer to him, and we want to run our race well. However, in order to do those things, we have to have the discipline to daily take, to make the choice to take a step in that direction. So if I wanna grow in my relationship with God, I need to read his word, to pray, and to let him change my thinking. If I want to grow more holy, that starts with the little decisions to obey and be honest and faithful in the small things. So if I want to be able to look back on my life and see that I ran my race well, I need to start now. Similarly, to grow in our love for the Lord and for others, we have to take the daily, small, faithful steps in obedience and fellowship with God. Now I love reading John's writings because he had such a wonderful knowledge and appreciation of God's love for him and he knew how to walk closely with the Lord. Since John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, he followed him closely for three years, learning firsthand from him and about him. John loved Jesus and he was confident of Jesus' love for him. And he wants us to experience this same closeness that he did. So he has several warnings for us in chapter four that if we will follow, they move us toward knowing God and his lavish love. And I think you'll find this this intersection of truth and loving God quite interesting. So let's just start with verse one. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John speaks to the church by calling us, his, by calling us beloved and he is mo- admonishing us to test the teaching that we come in contact with and, and j- not just believe everything that we hear. Teachers' thoughts and words are either guided by God or the world, which is against God. There is no middle ground here. So we wanna make sure that those we are listening to are being influenced by God. As Amy, Amy already mentioned during this time period, there were teachers or false prophets who claimed to be teaching and speaking for God when they were actually just deceiving the hearers. Satan is not a dummy, he is smart and sneaky and good at trying to trick believers. Matthew 7:15 on your verse sheet says, "'Beware of prophets who come at you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves.'" God wants us to be on the lookout for those who are trying to deceive us and out of obedience and love for God, we should take this seriously. So we have to constantly test those who speak into our lives. It's vital that we know God well and place ourselves under solid biblical teaching. But I think it's important also to look beyond just our Sunday morning service. It seems pretty easy and perhaps less obvious to try to get us to believe lies when we are alone, sad, tired, overwhelmed, or maybe we're just bored. Let's think for a minute what we are exposed to, things like books movies, podcasts, our friends and family advice, social media, and music. I mean, it just, you know, we're exposed to a lot of things. And the world has a privilege of having a great deal of access to our hearts and minds. So we have to be extremely cautious about who we learn from and what is driving those that we listen to. Have you considered who is holding the people accountable that we expose ourselves to? Or who has a say in what they share? I'm referring to books, blogs, music, and social media accounts that claim to be Christian. So we must constantly be on guard about what kind of teachings we are believing and not just assume that someone who claims to be teaching from the Bible is actually a Christian, even when they are funny, attractive, encouraging, or perhaps someone that you relate to. As I was preparing for this teaching, I read some writings and checked an Instagram page of a woman who claims to be a Christian, and I used to follow her. She's the author of books. She has a popular blog and podcast and a big social media presence. She even goes on tours speaking to thousands of women. In the past few years, she has moved toward openly teaching things that are against what the Bible says, and she still has hundreds of thousands of followers. In fact, what the Bible calls sin, she calls holy. One problem I noticed as I read through her writing and interviews is that she thinks the world needs Jesus to solve their social problems, their now problems, but she, de- she never mentions their eternal salvation, turning from sin, or obedience to God's word. This is a perfect example of what Vanita taught about love without truth. Love void of truth is not really God's Love. And ironically, this woman, this is what she says, is part of an effort to help find the truth by sorting out fact from fiction. She says, day by day, it's getting more difficult to sort out what is true and honest and real. It is, even on her social media pages. Now, I'm not trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit here, trying to convict you of who you follow. I just bring up this woman to point out that we have to be careful, recognize what is not truth, and turn from it. It frightens me for the many who follow her and others offering a twisted version of the Bible, turning it into some kind of nice sounding social justice that will not offend others. It is love void of truth. We as believers have freedom in Christ, but I do want to warn you to seriously and prayerfully consider what and who you are listening to. We must be careful because Satan is crafty and he wants to quietly slip in lies that damage our relationship with Christ. We can guard against buying into these lies with a simple step of obedience. So we know that false teaching was present in John's day and it's present in ours and that we need to test for it, but how do we do that? Let's read verses two through six. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So, we see two tests that help us know if the teacher is a false prophet. One is to ask Does this person confess that Jesus is both God and man? And here, confess doesn't just mean to say, it means to express allegiance to. So, does the teacher express allegiance to to Jesus and believe he is God? He's God and he came to man as earth. (laughs) He came to earth as a man. If yes, this teacher is from God. And conversely, those who do not show allegiance to Jesus in his true identity are antichrists. so those that oppose Jesus. No other religion I know of says that Jesus is God's son who came to the earth as a human while still being God, died to save us from our sins, rose from the dead conquering death, and offers salvation and eternal life as a free gift except the Christian faith. So teachers should be teaching to and pointing to these things. It's important to know the truth of who Jesus is, that he is both human and deity. And just as a reminder, there is great significance in Jesus coming to earth as a human and God. Christian theologians use the term incarnation to mean the way that Jesus came to the earth, but in human flesh. There are a lot of scriptural proofs for both his humanity and his deity, but we don't have time to cover those today. But assuming that we are all on the same page, believing who the Bible says Jesus is, I just want to briefly review the significance of Jesus being God and man. Now, this is not a comprehensive list, but here are several purposes. To live an obedient life in our place, to show us how to live, to experience suffering and temptation, and to die in our place as punishment for our sin and he is fully God to show that salvation comes from God alone. No human could die for everyone. Jesus' death has infinite value. It's important that we believe the full truth about Jesus as it's taught in the Bible. We either accept all of him or none of him. We don't get to pick the parts we want to believe. We can't say, I accept your love, but I, I won't obey the rules, I won't be holy. And I can't say I'll obey every rule and not accept your love. We have to know the truth, as Ephesians 4, 14 says on your verse sheet, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Satan opposes Jesus and he is doing everything in his power to come against him. So we need to take this seriously and test what we are hearing and reading. In verse four, John speaks with confidence and gives encouragement to believers, including us. So we have overcome or have victory over them who are the unbelievers in the world and we have not turned our backs on God and listened to or followed false prophets. Instead, we have chosen to trust God by having faith in the finished work of Jesus. This faith, of course, is a gift of God. Let's look at First John 5, 4 and 5 on your verse sheet. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? My hope is that we are not easily swayed by the wolves dressed as sheep, even when it's painful or costly to us. We will choose to trust God out of obedience. And of course, we have not done this in our own power, but by God's power through the Holy Spirit that he has given to live inside of us. Now before we move on from verse four, let's just briefly touch on who is in you and who is in the world. So he who is in you is the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15 through 17 on your verse sheet says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells in you and will be with you. What an amazing gift God has given us to help us tremendously in our own personal lives and as we live out our Christian faith. Isn't it amazing that God came for us? He provided the way for us to be saved and he provides the the faith and help we need to continue following him. God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are greater than anything in or out of this world. We are no longer bound to the fear of sin and death. We are free to live a life of hope. So looking at verse 4 again, it says, He who is in the world, that is Satan and his demons. Unlike God, he is limited to the world and in his power. So the world hopes in very different things than we do, and it is not tempted to follow God's word or sound doctrine. It's repulsive to them. False prophets are certainly not speaking for God. They are speaking from Satan's viewpoint against God. And the world is drawn to these false teachers and values what they teach. Second Timothy 4, 3, and 4 on your verse sheet says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And in 1 Corinthians, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. In 1 John 4, 6, John gets back to the test, so we're gonna get to the second test for false teachers when he says, whoever knows God listens to us. At the time when John was writing, people did not have New Testament Bibles to carry around with them. They listened to teachers or listened to letters that were written by the authors of the New Testament that was still in the process of being written. So when he says listen to us, he's referring to hearing or reading sound doctrine. If you look at John 10, 27, your verse, it says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. This is the second test because a false teacher will not fully follow and obey sound doctrine. Whoever listens to, trusts in, and obeys sound teaching are true believers and followers of God. So we can ask ourselves, does this teacher, author, or influencer believe and teach sound doctrine? Now John describes two opposing spirits in verse 6 as the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The spirit of error wants to trick people into believing what is untrue is true. We can follow the spirit of truth by carefully testing what we allow in our minds and our hearts by learning the word and knowing God. So by participating in this Bible study, by studying God's word on your own and attending church, you are doing just that. Let's guard our hearts and minds against false teaching that draws us away from God. We love God and we want our lives to be centered around knowing him. And so we can walk in close fellowship with him. We need to make a conscious effort to observe God's word so we can recognize false prophets and be aware of who we are letting speak in our lives. So our practical step is thoroughly test teaching to be certain it's truth. Let's continue reading 1 John. We're just going to read a couple of verses at a time, so let's start with verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. We see this exhortation to love one another, but we're going to hold off on discussing that for a few verses. Let's focus now on God's love. In verse 7, John says love is from God. It is a product of God's spirit living inside of us. It's just what happens when we know God. He is a fountain of love producing love in us. So if we do not love, we cannot possibly know God because they go hand in hand. If we walk with God, his loving character will shine through us. John gives us some very interesting and important insights into God's character. In the book of John, verse 424, we learn that God is spirit. In 1 John 1, 5, God is light. And here we read an amazing thing about God, that God is love. And just as with God's other attributes like holiness, he didn't acquire love, he can't love more or less. Love is just part of who God is and everything he does is driven by love. In Romans 5, 5 on your verse sheet we learn God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. Don't you just love that? We get an abundance of God's love through the Holy Spirit and he has a purpose for that love too. And John also points to a couple of amazing proofs of God's love for us in verses nine and 10. So let's read those together. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse nine says that God's love was made manifest among us. And manifest means to reveal something that had been unknown or hidden. God made known his love for us by sending his son to die for us. And he gives us life through his son. He demonstrates his love while we are still sinners. There is nothing lovely about us to draw, as, draw him to us. And there's nothing that we can do or say to make him say, oh, this one, she's worthy on her own. Verse 10, it says, Jesus was the propitiation for our sins. His death provided forgiveness, removed God's wrath against us, and turned it into favor and kindness toward us. That is love. God wants us to have an abundant life both with him now and for eternity. God sacrificing his beloved son allows us to see his immense love for us. All right, let's move to verse 11 and 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So we have a response to God's amazing love for us. We don't just sit at home, hugging ourselves, thanking God and being joyful alone. We are to love one another. John, uh, Jesus said in John thirteen thirty four in your verse sheet, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Before we get too far, let me define love. The type that John is referring to here is agape love. Agape love is supernatural godly love. It allows us to willfully delight in showing goodwill and unselfish kindness to the one that's being loved. It's doing what's best for the other person, often at a cost to you. It takes faithfulness, commitment, and it requires us being obedient to the opportunity to love that God has put in front of us. It often won't be a feeling of abounding love. You're just deciding you are gonna love and serve someone else and put their needs above your own through God's power. Please don't miss that. This love is given to us by God so that we can love someone else. John Piper describes this type of love. He says, it's not based on the loveliness of the object. Your aim in this kind of love is to do good, to bring about something beautiful, not respond to beauty which is certainly what God has done for us in our lives. And if you make a point to be aware, you will recognize that God puts needs in your path. It might be at church, it might be at home, at work, or even at the grocery store. The love that God allows us to love like this, the love that allows us to love like this is from God. As his children, our nature should be one of love too. As we reflect him to the world, we seek God's sacrificial love for us by him giving his son to die for us. This love is shown by what it does. Zane Hodges says, since no one in all humanity is beyond our savior's sacrificial death, no brother or sister should be beyond our sacrificial love. Now, before we feel shame-filled or condemned about our lack of loving our brothers well, remember, our salvation is not dependent on how well we love others, but by having faith in Christ. We want to love others out of an overflow of of love from God through the Holy Spirit to us. But this will require obedience. It will require trusting and stepping out in faith, and I think it improves with practice. We must trust God for rest, provision, and time, anything else that you give up to love your brother. We can ask God to help us and show us opportunities to love others, and I think that you'll find it's actually kind of fun and will bless you tremendously. Just a word of caution, if you have a spouse, children, parents, friends, or other family member living with you or that you care for, they are your brothers that need sacrificial love too. God is not asking us to sacrifice or neglect our family and friends. We have to be cautious so that we don't hurt the ones closest to us while seeking to obey God outside of our family. God wants us to love all the brothers in our lives well. So who is our brother? Well, now, of course, John is referring to both brothers and sisters. Our brothers are fellow believers, these women sitting on either side of you, those who you attend worship services with. They are family, friends, and coworkers. And as you've probably found, they are likely to think and act a lot differently from you. They might have different gifting and different personalities than you, some you just love so much and thank God for, and others require much patience and prayer. I'm sure most of you at some point have found yourself tired and stretched in many directions and feel like that you have nothing left to give. Another complicating factor in God loving others through us is Satan and his desire for division in the church. He wants to bring about conflict, disunity, and he wants us to focus on ourselves. How are we supposed to love sacrificially and serve difficult people in such difficult circumstances? Just like the other amazing things in our lives, God helps us. Let's look back at verse seven. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from whom? God. He enables us to love others even when it's difficult. He has given us the Holy Spirit to make this possible. Now, if you struggle with loving others, consider these three things. First, remember, despite what you think, you are not always easy to love. At times God allows me to see my sin and difficult personality traits, and I don't like it at all. And so when we think about others and respond to them, we need to remember our own imperfections and sin and offer grace. And follow Colossians 3:12 through 14, which is on your verse sheet, where Paul addresses this. He says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony second we also need to check our focus are we attending church and bible study and going about our daily lives seeing others through a selfish vision seeing what we can get from them Or do you go with God's vision and heart of sacrificial service? I have found I have to constantly check my heart and motivation for this. And thirdly, consider that loving others requires faithful, tiny steps. You could have a great vision for yourself, like I mentioned at the beginning, to be a loving, welcoming, hospitable woman, but struggle with the small opportunities to love others that God puts before you. Take the small, faithful steps. They are what move you in the direction of having a huge heart that loves God and other believers well. So what does it look like to love our brother? Just a quick reminder of what we have learned that God's love looks like. It is for one another, it is sacrificial, it gives life, and it gives hope. Let's look back at a verse that we read last week that gives us more guidance about loving our brother. So this is 1 John 3, 16 through 18, just in your Bible. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. My desire is for you to leave here with some practical ideas for loving others that feel doable to you. We are part of an eternal family that never ends, so we need to love each other well. We can celebrate and mourn with our brothers and sisters and help carry their burdens. We can overlook differences and remember that God has made us differently and trust the work he's doing in those around us. We can encourage one another, pray for each other, forgive each other, ask God to open our eyes to the ones who need love. Ask God for help in loving others well, and ask ourselves, what am I loving and serving, myself or others? Practically, we can pray, offer a ride, look for someone who is new and looks lonely, and teach your children to do that too. We can do a job at their house that maybe they're unable to do. We could mow, pull weeds, take them a meal, shop for someone, invite them over for dinner serve alongside something that they're already involved in. We could clean, encourage, write a note, or buy a small thoughtful gift. You could serve at the church with the kids or the teens, making coffee, praying for the service, playing and singing in the band, or organizing and cleaning up. God has given us all different good gifts that he knows are important to the body, and I want to encourage you to use yours. Now remember, God's heart for us gives us love for each other, and that God equips us with what we need to do what he's asked. 1 Corinthians 13 is the ultimate description of love. Review that and ask God to help you love others like that. He is not abandoning us to do this alone. We depend on him and abide in him, and we have to to sacrificially serve because we aren't able to do that. John records what Jesus said about abiding and loving in John 15 on your verse sheet. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. When we were in England this summer for my husband's job, we visited a church near us and we loved it. One of the pastor's wives named Alice, who I had talked to maybe five minutes before the church service started, after church invited us to tea at her house. And I'll be honest, I wasn't really sure what it'd be like if it'd be uncomfortable and one of my girls was having a severe case of vertigo and so I didn't know what to do. So I sort of non-committedly said we'd see if we could work it out, you know, those things that you do. And, um, so she said, okay, well, I'll give you my number, just text me and let me know, either way. So I got her number, and we went back, and Travis and I talked about what to do, and we decided it would be the loving thing for us to do to go to this tea because after all, I was studying 1 John 4, and I know what God says here. So we decided to go. So I, I tried to send her a text, and I realized I was missing one number. Their numbers are very long. So. I was missing this number, it was about an hour and a half after church was over, and I knew that they were all leaving right after church, just based on something that they had said, so I thought, I guess I'll go back and see if someone happens to be there. So I went out on the busy streets of London, and I looked up, and across the street, straight ahead of me, was a couple I had remembered from church, because she had on this really pretty flowered dress, and I knew that it was them, and so from across the street, I'm doing this. And, and they just kind of looked at me and then kept going. And she told me later they thought I was trying to get a cab, um, that <laughs> there was a cab right behind them. So, so anyway, I had to chase them down kind of across the street, you know, the nicest way I could. And um, she had Alice's number. So we were able to go to the tea, which I was really grateful for. So I have a picture. It was lovely. It was such a beautiful day. There were scones and clotted cream and strawberry jam and cookies and tea and her homemade elderberry drink. And this was such a sweet family, and do you know what they did? They invited us, even though this was a long planned afternoon, with great family friends who no longer lived in London, and so they were just in for the afternoon. Another couple that they were really close to who had just had a baby. So they included us, this random family from the US that they had just met in this delightful afternoon that blessed us so much. And we were 5,000 miles away from our church home. So it just just felt like God loving us and it really blessed us. And the thing I love too is it showed my girls how to extend brotherly love. It wasn't deserved. They didn't have to invite us. It was just sweetly given because Alice and Edward love God and abide in him more than their own plans. Verse 12 says that when we love like this, love is perfected. It is made complete, like God's whole plan for love reached his goal. Dr. Thomas Constable says, the love of God does not reach perfection until it finds objects to love beyond itself. God wants us to love others through the power of the Holy Spirit so they can see him. When we do that, we make his love complete, which is what the word perfected means. It accomplishes his purpose. When we love our brothers and sisters, we are showing God's love to those here on earth and making him known. How exciting to get to give away God's love to others and let them get a glimpse of our awesome God. Charles Spurgeon said, we can be fountains of love and dispensaries of goodness. I love that. The purpose of God's love is to bless us and for us to pass it on and bless others. And by being in fellowship with God constantly and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are able to be filled to love others. I love the the way Dr. Constable describes what we're doing. He says we make the invisible God visible to the world. What a wonderful gift for those who get to see and experience God through our obedience and what a gift it is to us to get to share God's love. So on your outline, to put it simply, abide in God and reveal him to the world. All right, let's read verses 13 through 16. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. In verses 13 and 14, John again talks about God's two amazing gifts to us, the Holy Spirit and Jesus as our Savior. John uses the Holy Spirit as sort of a marker for God abiding in us. In your homework, you looked at Romans 8:16, so let's just take a quick look at that on your verse sheet. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit allows us to have God dwell in us. In us. If you were here for our study of Exodus, you might remember that God wanted to dwell with his people in the tabernacle. Now God dwells and abides in us through the Holy Spirit. What John is saying is having the Holy Spirit is evidence that we are believers. This is one of the three ways that John says demonstrates we are believers and this was made possible through Jesus's death on the cross and our acceptance and confession of his free gift of salvation. The second sign that we are true believers is found in verse 15. If we confess, Jesus is God's son. So if we say it and believe in who Jesus is and what he did for us. In verse 15, abide is used a little bit differently here. It's referring um, to our not to our fellowship with God but our salvation. If we confess Jesus is the son of God, we have salvation. Therefore, we have God abiding in us. So because we believe in Jesus by faith, we get the awesome privilege of coming to know God's love and we find him to be faithful and loving. We don't have to question his love or our salvation. It is a sealed deal. And John can certainly testify to this because he knew and loved Jesus and Jesus told his disciples that he'd be with them and us always. We grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's love the longer that we walk with him. This is a third sign of a believer, that we abide in God or that we walk with him. This belief is not something that we just keep buried in our hearts, it's active. We trust God and try to live and walk in peace and contentment. When things are upside down, we remind ourselves of God's love and his faithfulness and we persist onward with endurance. So in verse 13, 15, and 16, we see three evidences of being a believer, having the Holy Spirit, believing Jesus is the Son of God, and abiding in God. And all three of these are gifts from God. Let's read verses 17 through 19. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If you look back at verse 12, you see that God's love is perfected in us, and here in verse 17, it's perfected with us. So when God's love is perfected in us, in verse 12, it allows us to love others rightly. And when it is perfected with us, we love God rightly which leads us not to fear the day of judgment, when we give an account of our lives to God because by loving others, we are as he is to others in the world. We are living out what Jesus would do every day. We have confidence in the blood of Christ that we've been forgiven and we are loved by God, which is an amazing gift because those not accepting salvation and faith in Jesus will indeed be fearful on judgment day because they will face an eternity of hell. I love the way that Charles Swindoll describes a day of judgment for believers. He says, this isn't a trial to determine whether we have earned eternal life, but an evaluation of our faithfulness to determine our reward in Christ's kingdom. John repeats this idea of confidence from verse 228. He wants us to know that we can have full confidence and hope in salvation, and this changes the way that we live right now. And we have hope for our future, an amazing eternity with God in heaven with no trials or tears. In verse 18, this perfect love completely eliminates any fear of our eternity. Christ has fully forgiven our sins 100%, both your past sins and your sins to come as well. God's perfect love completely destroys any chance of condemnation. We have confidence in this. John wants us to find peace and hope in our salvation. And we can abide with God and walking with him and trusting in him by not abiding with Satan in fear and worry. The fact is there's nothing good, en- good enough that you or I can do to earn our way to God. So if we've accepted God's perfect love, we must walk in confidence and not fear God's wrath. For Jesus already accepted God's wrath and you're in your and my place. In verse 19, we are reminded that we are only able to love because he first loved us. Without Jesus coming to earth to live and die for us, we could not walk in God's perfect love. By accepting this amazing gift, we are given the Holy Spirit that allows us to love others. Our love for others is solely the fruit of God's love in our lives. The more we know and understand God and his love for us, the more we overflow with love for others. Let's read our last two verses. Now John is gonna use some strong language here, so prepare yourselves. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I love John's use of liar here. He's getting right to the point. He walked with Jesus, loved Jesus, and he referred to himself as a disciple that Jesus loved. So if he is secure in anything, it is abiding in God's love. He is so passionate about us understanding this. So here's the deal. If God loves us and we have the Holy Spirit, we have love to show and give to others. So if we hate a fellow believer, we cannot be walking with the Lord. First John two, four says on your first sheet, whoever says I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. John makes it clear in verse 21, you have to, you must love your brother with agape love. Part of walking with and abiding in in God is obedience to his word. One way we demonstrate our love for God is through obedience. So just loving God isn't obedience. We can't claim to love God and not others because according to the Bible, that's not love. We have to love both the unseen God and our seen brothers. This is where truth and love intersect. At first glance, it seems like those first six verses of 1 John 4, didn't really have anything to do with the last 15. But as I studied those who were, te- who were not teaching the truth, actually for this, it was obvious that truth and love have to go together. We love God by obeying his word, and we love God by loving others, and we show God to the world through this agape love. So let me say that again. We love God by obeying his word and loving others. And, as we, and we show God to the world through this love. There is nothing more beautiful and fulfilling in walking um, in a loving relationship with God. So don't be swayed by false teaching and guard what you expose yourself to. Spend time in God's word and grow in your knowledge of God. As you obey God's word, you walk in truth. Love your brothers and sisters, trusting God to provide what you need to love them well. Love God by loving others. In doing these things, we are walking in both truth and love. I wanna close with a benediction. These verses are from Ephesians and first and second Thessalonians. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and that you want to have a relationship with us. Will you please help us be women who know and love you deeply and love our brothers and sisters well. And please help us to identify teachers in our lives that are not teaching truth and help us move forward today walking more closely with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.